Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs Podcast with me, Giles Bidder, and I'm extremely excited to have John Darnielle, author, lyricist, songwriter in The Mountain Goats. I don't know why his people let me speak to him, but I spoke to him on the day of the release of Getting Into Knives, The Mountain Goats' new record, which is out now. The song behind this is from it. It's called Picture of My Dress, and I love it. I hope if you're listening, you enjoy this podcast. I'm fully aware that there are some people who absolutely love this band and I like to think I know how lucky I am getting to chat to John. So cheers. Thank you for listening. As always, if you enjoy it, 
Please rate and review and subscribe and tell your friends on your WhatsApps and all that. That's the thing that gives this show legs. I really appreciate you listening to this. East London Signature Brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. You may know them from collaborating with Mastodon and Idols and Slaves and recently Sports Team. You can go and order those off their website, signaturebrew.co.uk and using the voucher code 101podcast at checkout for a 10% discount. All right, here is John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats. Go well. Cheers. I take a picture of my Obviously, today is release day. Thank you so much for chatting to me. It's a busy, busy day. Oh, it's a great day. I mean, it's a good day to be talking about the Mountain Goats for me. <laughs> and you've released you know, a lot of records. It doesn't really need to be said, but you know, you still get the same thrill. You still have this same buzz. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's release day. I mean, it's not as super intense as it used to be. Um, you know, it used to be uh, like the going through the bottleneck to release day was, was seriously just, you know, the tension would get very, very high. This is not as intense as it used to be, but it's still extremely exciting. You know, you wake up and you go, oh, everybody gets to hear the record today. So, uh, Is that because of DSPs? Hence, uh, if I can use that acronym, is that because of Spotify and iTunes that, that it's not so stressful? Um, no, I mean, I just think it's actually how long I've been doing it. That part used to be super stressful that like, you know, you like I stream music all the time, but I grew up with, with records. You sort of, when you're making records, you have an idea that you want people to be holding it in their hands and hearing the big, the big sound files instead of the heavy compressed ones and so forth. Um, I'm kind of over most of that, but, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I do think the fact that albums leak, sometimes it can be a little bit of a relief. This one didn't, uh, as far as I know, and I'm, I follow pretty closely where Tallahassee leaked like it was 2002, it leaked like six months early. It was very depressing, wow. but, but, uh, but I do think the fact that, you know, that that you're more in tune with the chatter about the record than you used to be does relieve a little of the tension. But I think it's mainly just that I've been doing it for a long time. So, I mean, mentioning Tallahassee, this podcast is about, well, you know, it's about really an idea that I thought when my old band was touring so much, I used to come home from tour and think, what am I doing? And I realized a lot of my friends were in the same positions. You know, they'd come off tour and feel, you know, just kind of, you know, just a, a sort of smorgasbord of emotions. Yeah, it's a, the home from tour feeling is one of those feelings that like people who haven't done it, it's very hard to convey what it feels like because it, it is, you see, it's a smorgasbord, you know, it really totally is like you had, if you had a good tour, you feel so accomplished and great, but at the same time, you know, you notice how unmoored you were the entire time. And you, I mean, it's like, it's a very intense feeling, yeah. And when, when it's not your full-time job, you know, when you can't make, a full-time wage, whatever that may be, wherever you live, whatever your circumstances are. I mean, how does how do you go about reconciling that with the fact that there that you have this art that you need to create and to tour? So I, I worked a day job for for as long as I could because I like working a day job. You know, it, it, I like especially if you live in the U.S. <laughs> if you decide you're going to strike it out uh, on your own wages, then you won't have health insurance, right? So so it's a uh, it's a pretty heavy thing yeah. to do so i kept my day job for the longest time and uh and for me it's always good to be doing other work because i think there's this positioning of creative work as, as something other than labor but it is labor right and uh and so so if i'm doing other stuff it, I, I feel like i want my mind is wandering here but uh but uh oh man i lost track of the actual um uh, the, the actual jumping off point there. Um, well, you did hit a nice note, which sorry, I... Sorry, can you, can you cue me the question? Yeah, it's just, you know, how, how does one reconcile 
coming up, you know, having this labor of art, you know, with, you know, and that being something that doesn't exactly make a ton of money, especially in the earlier years. How do you, you know, figure out that contrast between doing that and then having a job at home, which is obviously you're putting a risk by doing your art in the first place? So one reason the Mountain Goats didn't tour as much or as early as most of our peers is I was not, I was a little older. So I, um, uh, so I already had jobs and bills to pay and I, I had a hard and fast rule. That I'm not leaving home if I'm going to come home poorer than I left. <laughs> I couldn't do that. I just couldn't afford to. Um, so I always, for me, the, the, the work equation was always part of it. Like I, I, I would, you know, set an amount of money that wasn't a big amount of money, but I had to make a little bit or I couldn't go, you know? Um, and, uh, and so that was always the case for me. The, the thing that's funny about coming back is like music work, any work in the, in the arts sort of gives you more, um, ego gratification than most day jobs do. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you stand in front of people playing music and then they clap. It's the craziest thing. <laughs> it's like, wow. You know, it's this amazing feeling. In your normal job, nobody claps for you, and that's healthy. Right? <laughs> that's a good. You don't deserve you just doing your job. Yeah. You don't deserve to be applauded for that, right? And uh, and whereas in music, it's just natural to, to do that, and it's really cool. But um, but it's also quite um, you know, I I always feel like performing is maybe not the healthiest thing for a human being to do, though a lot of us have the need, right? Um, but uh, so when you come back to the day job from that, it often is very good for you, right? Because for two weeks, people have been telling you how great you are. Well, you're not great. You're actually just writing music and playing it, you know, but people people get excited and tell you you're really good. And then you come back to your day job and you're another person on the line, right? And I think that's healthy and good. Yeah, and I, I wonder if, if those kind of, if those day jobs for for you, you know, and, and every musician, I suppose, whether that has that kind of certain element that, you know, you might have, you might, might have the producer when you're making a record might say, you know, let's go out of your comfort zone. Whereas to work those jobs in real life, sometimes that is going out of your comfort zone. No, that's right. That's, I mean, the, the thing is, when we, when we distinguish between the arts and other types of work, I think we sort of do ourselves no favors, even though we do know, like there is something very special about music and about books, about movies, about theater, about dance. You know, it, it occupies a special place, but it is still work, right? It's, mm. it's the same thing. It just satisfies you in a different way. The work of a cook satisfies you in incredible ways, right? Um, that, uh, that, that also should sort of be afforded a, a, a different sort of status. But uh, uh, this is a, a very interesting uh, uh, turn of the conversation. Um, so I, again, I'm sorry, my mind is wandering so badly. You no, this this is the podcast. Question? This is the podcast to to let your mind wander. But I was just about to say, you know, you, you're gonna uh-huh. you're gonna find stories, especially in a in a lyricist such as yourself. You're gonna find stories from your day job. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. So unusual for me in my old day job in that uh, I was nurse, right? So um. So patient confidentiality has something to do with that. You know, like I, I can't really work those stories in except in a, in a really general way. You don't want to be telling somebody's story who's, you know, who's locked up in a hospital. Um, that's not cool. But at the same time, um, the story that people get locked up, obviously, that's a story I have told, right, That uh, in the Death Metal Band and Denton song, right? Um, mm. and, uh, and there's all kinds of inspiration that comes to you. I think from any day job, though, because I wrote The Coroner's Gambit, um, a 1999 album made while I was working on a grain elevator, right, um, in Iowa. So that's where the people bring uh, soybeans and corn in who've been growing it, and, and they store them in the elevator. The elevator sends it out to market from there. It's, a, wow. it's called a co-op, a cooperative uh, grain, grain exchange, uh, yeah. super 
where you're at, this would be like, I guess, uh, where's the granaries there out West. Um, so, so, uh, so yeah, so I was working there. I was writing my, my lyrics, uh, on lunch break in, uh, in this tiny office inside the grain elevator. And that was pretty hip. (laughs) It's like, you know, cause then, cause it's then that if you're a writer, that's when you sort of are getting your escape from your day job, but also, I mean, I'm inspired by practically everything. It's, it's very hard to put me in a, in a, in a place where I'm not going to draw some inspiration. And, you know, standing on the roof of a grain elevator when it's starting to get cold in Iowa and checking the, you drop a tape measure down. It, probably they do all this electronically now, but this was the late 90s. Um, you drop a tape measure down the top of the elevator to see how much space is left in a given bin for dumping grain, right? And uh, and it's it's a pretty, you know, uh, cool space to be in. You get a lot of ideas. You know? Yeah, yeah. And would would you say that people would 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 you know w- were you quite a good worker? Were you quite a hard worker when it came down to you know that job in particular and others such as? I mean, being a nurse, you kind of have to be very disciplined. So I am a hard worker and I'm a good nurse. I was bad at the harvest help job. I was really <laughs> not cut out for that kind of work. Uh, but I wanted but the thing is like the grain elevator was at that time four blocks from my house. We lived in a very small town. And I saw the ad for Harvest Help, and I was like, I was working part time in my nursing job. And I was like, okay, find out whether this is whether you can do this. And I was able to do it. But I mean, but that's really exhausting physical labor. And the guys who like to do it are guys who genuinely enjoy it. You know, they 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 look forward to it when the harvest starts to kick up. You know, they get really excited, and you can feel it. They get like um, you know, like I don't know, like like uh, like ball players getting ready to go out on the pitch. You know, but. But whereas I would be like, see the truck start to roll in loaded with grain, it's like, I'm going to have a long day today. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I remember my, my boss, uh, when I, you know, in December, it's starting to get really cold, right? And uh, in Iowa, it gets super cold. And, uh, and I'm still up on the roof of these buildings. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. And, you know, and, and I, uh, I say, hey, Jim, I, I, I think, uh, I think maybe after, after next week, uh, I've worked the harvest time. He said, yeah, I had a feeling you were getting short which is a, a phrase I like. So. <laughs> I mean, I read somewhere that you, that, that well, the mountain goats became a full-time thing for you in 2004. Is that right? Um, yeah, that was when, so we moved from Iowa to, um, to North Carolina. And, uh, and when we did that, um, I wrapped up my job as a nurse with children in, um, in, Iowa and we came out here and I thought, well, look, I'm actually doing pretty good at this job. Uh, you know, I had, I'd just been on an Australian tour and I'd come home with a good paycheck. Um, so I thought I would give it a shot. And then I thought if it doesn't work out, uh, you know, I'll either find nursing or maybe it, it'll be time for me to, to do something else. And I actually, so for the first year, that would have been 2004 and it was fairly lean times. Me and Peter toured a lot that year. Cause that's what you do is like, you just stay out, you know? And, uh, and so we toured a lot and, you know, I was able to, to pay my bills, but when the sunset tree came out in 2005, I was, it felt like, like I was never going to actually be able to make a, a proper living at it. My, my wife had a real job uh, as a scientist. So, so I volunteered at an animal shelter and my idea was I'll do this and then I'll, I'll apply for a job when one opens up. And that's what I was doing in the spring of 2005 when the sunset tree came out. And that was sort of, then, then I have been the mountain goats full time ever since. Wow. And so do, do you feel like, I mean, thinking back to that kind of time, did you, did you feel like there was something that you had to do every time you got home, like work at the animal charity, the animal shelter? Um, the main thing I would do is cook. I go, I, I, I try and go directly to the kitchen. 
which the thing is, once you have kids, it relieves you of this need to, to like re-anchor yourself in the home because mm. uh, it's so weird. Well, you, you said you toured, right? Like you get home and you've been in, you have had a lot of different homes over the last few weeks, hotel rooms, other people's houses, vans, you know. And when you get home, it, you, your body is like trying to send you this message that all spaces are temporary or something, you know. And what I do is I go directly to the kitchen and start cooking, right? Um, or I used to do that. But now when you get home, the kids don't even know, like they know you were gone, but they will put you in your job as dad directly, immediately, right? And you will have no confusion about it. You will be off to her very quickly. <laughs> Did you feel like you had a pretty solid identity as to who you were and, you know, what you were trying to do with that time? You know, and, and I, I suppose when I asked that question, I'm thinking, did you have many friends? I mean, obviously you're quite a good friend. You're, you know, you're friends with Superchunk. W- were you friends around that period of time? And were you kind of, you know, peers to each other in the way that you wanted to do things yourself? Um, well, so friends and peers are, are different questions. For me. I don't really hang out much. I mean, I, I do have some pals, but I'm, I'm very, I, I'm a homebody. I stay home. I like to work a lot and I hang out with my family. And it's, it's kind of like pulling teeth to get me to go hang out. <laughs> and I will, and I'll have a good time if I go, you know, but I mean, I'm talking obviously pre-quarantine. I <laughs> barely live the house except for, except for exercise since March, right? But, um, but, but yeah, so I know all those people. I would see them at like the Christmas party. I'll go to the Christmas party, you know? Yeah. But other than that, I, I really like, I'm very, people don't believe uh, how, how hard it is to get me to go out and do stuff, but it's pretty hard. And not that I won't enjoy it. It's just that I also enjoy stuff at home and I'm often working or reading, you know, um, actually getting into Magic the Gathering has gotten me to go out on Friday nights. Oh, wow. That's when everybody meets up to play Paper Magic. And I, I in the past couple of years, I've been, I've gotten hugely into Magic. <laughs> and, uh, and so now I go out on Friday nights and I hang out with a bunch of other people who are about exactly at the same level of comfort socializing as me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Brilliant. And, uh, and, and, and play cards. And it's really awesome. And I actually, I've, been, I've done that on tour. A few people have brought cards. Um, there's a guy, Tom Tuck, uh, brought uh brought cards to uh to the show in london um totally totally fun times <laughs> excellent excellent in, in those early 2000 years did you have an idea of of what you were working towards or you know you you were just working you you had your head down so yeah, so artistically, I'm always focused on what I'm doing. I never think about like, what do I want my reputation to be at the end of my life or anything like that? Or what, what's the broader body of work I'm building? I'm always just thinking of what's directly in front of me, right? Mm. Um, and and that's what I like to do. I like to stay focused on the on the work in front of me. Um, the um, in, in terms of career, I've always like, I come from, from indie rock. And so I sort of, you know, I, I, I've always tried most of my life to not be thinking about my career, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of unhealthy. It's an unhealthy indie rock impulse, but, uh, but it's how I am. Um, so, so I, but, but it remains true. I'm a nineties indie rock guy. I've always tried not to think too much about the business aspects of it any more than I have to. Now I've been doing it for 20 years. Eventually you do start to think about business a lot. It's like, it becomes where you're at, you know, but, um, but for the most part, it's like I kind of I have a childish um, sense of things. I want to be just thinking about making art and not thinking about the the other aspects of it because they're not that interesting to me. Mm. It's like what's interesting to me is singing songs, playing shows, making records. And I have a manager now. We didn't hire a manager until very late into our career. Um, 
But having a person whose job it is to think about the business stuff is one of the greatest things. Because then I can think about it if I need to, or if there's something interesting, but I don't have to, right? I, I have somebody else who that can be their job. You know? Yeah, so. and I wonder if, you know, you talk about that habit of indie rock bands. You kind of do read and see how it, you know, it can lead to not focusing on that business side of it can lead to you know a hard place maybe sometimes because ultimately you know at the beginning of your career no one's going to care about it more than you right so it makes sense that you are in control of, right. of where you're going of on that side yeah. on, on that financial side or managerial side yeah. whatever and you want to call it you don't care about it nobody will in, in, in those i think we have a time lag i'm sorry it's something i'm interrupting um but but uh but like i think in those years if you don't care about your career nobody else is going to care about your career you can take advantage of um and uh, and stuff like that but, uh, uh, but yeah, it's like, even then, like for the longest time, the way that we uh, did the tour money was I would keep it all in my backpack. Um, and until the end of the tour, and then I would come home and, and I, I forget, Peter this every night, the Peter would go home with the money and then divide it up in cash and do a bunch of math and we would split it in half. Right. Mm. But we did this for years when other bands had bank accounts and stuff like that. And we <laughs> were like keeping our keeping our coins in a sock, you know, Yeah. <laughs> sort of, the mountain goats have always dev- never been in a hurry to become too professional. You know? <laughs> did, th- did that ever worry you at times? Did any, did, were there any, any like sort of moments where you thought, Oh shit, we should have, we should have done something more legit. Oh yeah. No, especially like well, the thing is funny is like if a tour is going well, um, then, you know, you wind up with a, with a, a big sock full of coins. Right. Yeah. And, um, and then you think, well, I'm not staying in, you know, I'm not staying in the greatest hotels in the world right now. <laughs> you know, I'm staying mm. at, at, at dodgy places by the side of the road. And I remember sleeping with my backpack in the, um, in the bed next to me, right. Uh, looped around my ankle just in case it goes missing. <laughs> so, so that was, I mean, that was the, the thing about that is like, that, I mean, that's how bands are still doing it like that sleeping in the van. Somebody, somebody has to sleep on top of the, the paycheck, you know, did you have any, any any times when you know writing or working for the for, for for band output didn't come so naturally and it was a bit you know maybe a um a, a, a bit you know harder where it didn't flow so well where you thought maybe you know how how long could i carry this on for has that ever happened to you um so that has only that's happened that happens on bad tours is, is when that happens for for me and it's been a, a while but like you know i had a tour where my physical health went to hell and then my mental health followed and, and I remember on that tour thinking, there's no way if I was working a regular job, I'd be able to call in sick. You know, mm, I'd be, yeah. and you can't, as a musician, you don't get to call in sick. That's not, not part of your program. Right. And so, um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, that, that was actually, that was a tour in 2011 or 12, no, no, nine or 10. I think that Peter always remembers that, uh, that I was, uh, uh, downloading applications for, uh, for nursing schools. <laughs> yeah, and, and so not, but nothing, nothing came of that. No, I downloaded the applications and I thought about it, and I mean, again, I came home and recuperated. I, I yeah. you know, this is sort of what you get the sense after a certain time making music that this is sort of what you're supposed to do, what your your fate was, or whatever. I mean, I don't believe in fate in that way, but um, but but you do get that feeling that that uh, that that this is what you were meant to do. It's what you're best at, and it is what I'm best at. Um, you know, I. I this is what I do well. I'm a good nurse, but I think I'm a better musician. <laughs> your, your job must have changed so much over the last two decades. Yeah, well, last five years, last five years, about fairly consistent. I mean, we're we're better known 
than we used to be. So, so, uh, and, and we changed management and like, like here's one thing, this is like not probably not super interesting to people, but so we toured in a van for much longer than most bands of our, you know, sort of size. Um, because, you know, in part because I come to this from a, j- a day job way of thinking. So I'm not in a hurry to spend a lot of extra money. You know, mm. <laughs> it's like I'm trying to keep everything we make. Uh, and so we stayed in the van and stayed in hotels. And then at some point I had management show me, like, here's what you will, you will save if you guys rent a bus instead. Going from the van to the bus is kind of a leap. And as I said earlier, the mountain goats have always been extremely slow to make any extra leaps. Right. Um, it's like, I'm a very much a measure twice cut once person. And, uh, and so, so we got on the bus about, um, she's our first one was we, we toured with Kaki King, but, uh, but we started getting our own bus, I think 2017, right. That changes everything about the way you, you tour right now. You are living in the thing that carries you around. Right. And mm-hmm. now you, you know, uh, you travel by night instead of sleeping in a bed. It's very disorienting and different. So that's one thing that, that's changed a lot. I mean, the bus changes everything. I sleep terribly on the bus and I kind of hate it. You know, everybody else in the band loves the bus. Uh, uh, very fond of it. <laughs> I can't stand it. Um, I sleep really badly. Um, but, uh, but I make it work. That's been a big change. It just sort of changes the way you see the country. You, uh, you wake up. You wake up in a different city instead of going to sleep in the city where you played. Uh, that's kind of disorienting. So can you ride uh, on the there's bus? There's a lot. Oh yeah, I can ride on the bus. Um, I can. The past, like starting in 2004, but really a lot since about 2017, I can ride pretty much anywhere. Um, I that's uh, kind of what I do is uh, is is ride in dressing rooms, ride on the bus, ride in the studio. Um, yeah, I just I, I ride everywhere these days. And that's a skill in itself, isn't it? To to find yourself, to give yourself the mental headspace for that. Yeah, no, it's it's I don't I don't know if it's a skill as 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 like a, just a thing that you that you sort of uh, you you learn to do out of necessity. It's like you have a, a song idea, and if you write down your song ideas and then wait to bring them home, maybe you remember them and maybe you don't. You know, um, but uh, but I just started doing them. You know, the other thing that people don't talk about on on, the, on tour, I mean big rock stars have written a lot of songs about touring and, uh, and they do talk a little bit. This like, there's a lot of boredom associated with it. It's like, there's a lot of downtime. Right. And you can like go exploring and stuff, but you do need to save your energy for your actual job. The one people are paying you to do, which is to play music. Right. So you can't really be running around all day long and then have a whole lot left in the tank for when you play that night. Right. Mm. So, so writing is one thing you can do, right. You can, uh, and the, for me, the smarter I tour, the more I'm reading and writing instead of going around doing stuff. Um, now that I run, uh, running is a big thing for me now. And now that I run, I have fairly full days on tour. I, I wake up, go for my, make breakfast, go for my run. Um, and I can come back and read for a long time and eventually, you know, load into the club mid afternoon. And we do a lot of long sound checks now too, where we improvise and just play music together, which is a lot of fun. That's interesting because I mean that that is your job, right? You know, to be writing and to to you know rehearsing, I suppose, and writing during your sound check. So let me let me jump in. Let me jump in there because but what you were talking about before is like when you're leaving your your day job to do it, and you go on tour, you sort of feel like I I don't want to be doing extra work on tour. I'm I, I'm having fun, right? Mm. <laughs> and once it actually you really acclimate to it as a full time job, and so when you're on tour, you're kind of on the clock twenty four hours a day. But that's kind of cool actually because the longer you stay connected to your muse or whatever 
you know, the more you can get out of it if you're if you're able to sort of sustain that pitch. So we have it's funny because I think most bands discover this very early on that like, Oh yeah, jamming a sound check is fun. We found this out about three years ago, <laughs> but now we really enjoy it. You know, just, and just play for a while, maybe play joke songs that, that piss off our sound man. <laughs> Brilliant. When you're running, do you listen to music? Do you listen to podcasts or audiobooks? Yes. I have a pair of Jabra elite sport headphones. I'm always threatening to get a pair of Sony's instead, but the Jabra's are kind of the most common, the most, do, do you run? No, I hate it. I can't do it. <laughs> you don't. So I'm really, so here's the thing. I, I, I preach about it a lot these days because like I did, I, it's not like I started running because I liked running. Who starts running because they like running? Freaks of nature, right? Who, who mm. actually naturally wants to do that? Nobody, right? Mm. But, uh, but I, I had gotten, I was really not in love with the, the shape of my body as a middle age. And I started trying, my wife ran a, a program that got up to five kilometers um, after she became a mom, right? And she did it. I started that program once and then I quit and I started again and I quit. But I did start to get to the point where once in a while I do a run and I go, you know, it felt kind of good. That was kind of, that was all right. I can kind of see the point of this. And last fall, uh, so I guess this would be after about two years of trying um, and failing, you know, falling back down. Last fall, it finally got its hooks into me. And it's when I got up to about the 20 minute mark, uh, 20 minutes continuous running, right? That suddenly when you finish, you go, oh, that was absolutely worth it. And you notice that it's only the first 10 minutes. And not to this day, I, I ran half an hour yesterday. First 10 minutes, they sucked. I hated it, right? I was like, oh, God, I'm tired. I waited too long to go on this run late in the afternoon it's kind of hot you know but you get free at some point and music as you were asking if you have these earbuds in i make a mix every every time i i, I do some podcasts now and again yesterday i listened to an entire album i listened to the new blaze of sorrow album which is an italian metal band um it's really good um but usually i make a mix every day and now that my runs are about two and a half hours long when they get up to the long one it's like it can be a glorious mix with like like a proper you know like if you ever it been out dancing past 2 a.m. You know, the DJ will like drop in a good 14 or 15 minute piece, like something that goes really deep and everybody feels it, you know, and, and it's sort of like the set has a center. You do that. My center can be like sometimes like a Steve Reich piece, like a minimalist piece, like uh, a four organs or, um, uh, God, uh, what other minimalist stuff was I listening to? Um, oh, Keith Jarrett, not minimalist, but the, the, the pianist. Um, if you put a good Keith, Keith Jarrett piece in at the peak, uh, can be great and making those mixes like this is a big part of my creative effort now and and it's only for me so it's very indulgent you know um so yeah so that's what and running on tour also has has changed tour for me so much for the better because like one it prevents you from partying too hard if you're going to wake up with a hangover but you're committed to your run then you're going to have a miserable run so i kind of you know wind up partying less and, and exercising more like a middle-aged dude, <laughs> it feels really good. It's so interesting you say about, you know, the dancing at 2 a.m. thing, because I've done it a few times where, you know, you, you do stay up really late dancing and the time just flies, whereas there'll be another night where it gets to, you yeah. know, 10 and it's like, oh, I cannot do this. You know, I can't stay out past midnight. And that, that is interesting. That makes totally. me want to run a little, <laughs> little bit more. So the thing is, it really does. I mean, I'm always preaching about this. It takes a long time to get to this place I'm talking about. And it's not a fun time. Like, I... I can look at because these, the, the apps that you use on your phone to do it save your runs and they save geographically where you. I can look at the ones like, oh my god, that was disrespectful. <laughs> I hated mm, that, mm. you know. Uh, and but when you do hit the point, especially if you're a music fiend, that's the thing. It's like 
because you can't be looking at your phone when you're running. I mean, you can try. I see people doing it, but generally speaking, you're going to have your phone in your pocket or in, a, in an exercise belt. So it's just you and the music, and that's such a rare condition for us now. When I was younger, if you got a new record, you generally speaking put it on the stereo and you sat back on the couch or in bed, closed your eyes, and, and enjoyed. And now we almost all, me, me too. I'm not standing in judgment here. This is we're all in the same boat, you know. When we listen to new music, we're usually looking at a screen and we're clicking around through news and we're hate scrolling on Twitter and we're doing a million things. And you really have to practice discipline to just engage the music without these other distractions. When you run, and this would be true if you were on a bicycle too, by the way, I have friends who, who bike instead and who have one in England who does like these 56 mile runs, insanely great bike rides. But when you do it, you know, it's just you and the music and your body. It's just like dancing, mm. right? Except mm. you're running. So it's a little harder than dancing, right? It's like, and there's nobody, nobody hands you a gin and tonic at any point. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, uh, but, it, but you get to indulge in music. And when you hit that connection during the run, I mean, it really does feel like the greatest moments you've had on the dance floor. It's like, oh, the music and my body and the things that I'm seeing, you know, if you've picked a good place to run, that's got a lot of greenery and stuff. It's pretty magic. What you say about not, and I love that hate scrolling on Twitter, it's, you know, something that we have to learn. You know, a lot of <laughs> us have to learn, you know, Generation Z, I suppose, uh, either, either better off for it or worse for it than us. I'm, I'm not sure. But, you know, finding a way to not just look at our screens all the time. I think that is something that probably, you know, hist history is going to tell us we all should learn to do right now. It's just so hard. It's like, I mean, we can't, you, we can't beat ourselves up too hard about it because it's like the dopamine hit that you get from it is real, right? Social media, like most people prior to Twitter and Facebook, I think, you know, would go through phases of like, oh, I was up all night browsing the web and I, I didn't really do anything. But because there was no, there were no likes, right? And retweets and stuff, the dopamine hit from it wasn't as big, right? Mm. Whereas now you say something and somebody tells you you're funny. And we were talking about applause earlier. It's like, you got applause. It's not healthy. Now you want more, right? Yeah. <laughs> now you got to have a little bit more, yeah. right? And you got to, and plus getting into arguments, human beings love to argue. And social media is a place where you can tell a stranger that you disagree. Right. <laughs> right. You know, whereas you, you, you know, otherwise, at 2 a.m., the pub tells you you've had enough. Go home. You have to stop arguing with people about stuff, right? Yeah. And, and on social media, that time never comes. And, and you have so, time to reflect. Yeah, I agree with you strongly. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You have time. And you're looking at other people's faces as they react. You get much more. You get so much better information from a person's face if you're mm -hmm. disagreeing with them than you do from stuff they type, you know, because, yeah, it's, it's very. And those of us who've been online a long time, this happened on Usenet a lot, too. I don't know how old you are, but like, there was a thing called Usenet in the early days of the internet, which was just a, uh, you know, a place where you, you made a post that was distributed via mailing list usually. Or, so okay. your email would get a digest every day of all these arguments that you could then discussions you could participate in. But, uh, but, but they would get very, very heated and very long, like incredibly long essays of disagreement. And you could see it's like, oh man, for people who like to argue, the internet is absolutely the destination. That's it. That's it. Oh, I, I was just I'm sorry. I'm pushing my five-year-old in a swing, and I had a, a terrifying moment mid-line where it looked like he's insisting on standing up in the swing, and uh, and he lost his balance. I was like, oh my god, is my dude going to plant his face in the in the leaves as I'm talking? <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Is that something that, I mean, it, it must be kind of scary at moments being a parent, right? 
Oh, yeah. It's, well, it is. I'll say there's this one thing about lockdown that, you know, it, it's to, to say, oh, no, it's just it's good because this is wrong. But the amount of time I have gotten to spend with my five-year-old Moses here over the past seven months is incredible because I wasn't going to get this time. I was going to be on the bus. Now I was going to be living an incredible life on the bus. And more importantly, I was going to be able to apply my trade and draw a paycheck, which I'm not doing, right? But uh, but he's only going to be five once, and this is our last child, right? So I have got to spend seven months in the company of this dude, and he's amazing, right? Um, and it's you know it's been a it's been a real blessing. It's also exhausting. Normally, you don't parent this much. Normally, you can share it with teachers and stuff. Mm. And instead, it's like it's mom and dad from. 6 30 a.m to 8 p.m <laughs> yeah so, yeah uh it's intense but uh you know uh, it does remind you it's like oh and this is why we used to live in villages and stay near our families <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that other people can help with the with the load you know one un- unforeseen blessing in all this has been the time i've been able to spend with moses here because like he's not going to be five again this yeah. time will never come again and he was gonna like today i would be in washington dc that we were going to open our tour uh in dc tonight and uh that's not happening. So it sucks that it's not happening and that I can't draw a paycheck, but it rules that I'm pushing my son and talking to you. So. Yeah, brilliant. Great to hear. Thank you so much for, for joining me. We're, we're slightly running out of time here, but I just wanted to ask about, you know, two albums this year. How, how do you think you'll, you'll look back on getting into Knives and, and creating it and putting it out? How do you think you'll look back on this period of time? So I, I mean, just because of the pandemic, it will obviously be a pretty unique moment in my life and in the catalog, but especially given like we recorded this thing March 1st through 7th of this year, right? Um, The coronavirus had landed on these shores a couple weeks before. There had been a little bit of talk about it when I'd played in San Francisco just a couple weeks before, right? But, uh, but it was not, people weren't, people were expressing a little bit of concern, right? Uh, And as we recorded in the studio, the news started to hit the like, you know, in Italy, the numbers were getting pretty gnarly, right? In China, it was real gnarly. And, uh, and I started to get the feeling like, I was like, God, what if something happens and we can't tour? Cause we had, you know, our whole year was planned out. We're going to record this album. We're going to release it in October and we will tour. We had, and the whole tour was routed. Everything was planned. Uh, and, uh, and I, but by the time we emerged, it was very clear to me, things are changing. And a week later, it was clear to everybody because a week later they closed the schools. Right. Um, and I was like, Oh, we're not going to tour. There's no way. Um, and our spring tour was canceled. And my summer tour was canceled. The album is like a memory of a very blissful time with my band. Right. For me, for us, it's like, no, that's when it was just us in the studio focusing on getting the work done and having a really good time, you know, before in a time before people couldn't really hang out together without wearing masks. You know, it's mm. like, uh, it, so, so for me, this album will always occupy that that spot you know excellent john it's been a total pleasure yeah man i really enjoyed talking to you i i uh, sorry if i seem a little scattered it's a it's a very intense day for me no no great great to hear it what's what's for the next few hours for you what are you what are you doing this evening to celebrate well let's see i have a run so i'm very excited to go on my run um and uh and i'm gonna figure out what to cook as i say it's like that's sort of my, my my happy place i promised my son i'd take him to the park so i'm gonna do that um and I usually listen to music to celebrate. That's that's sort of my my observance of stuff is to treat myself to some stuff. And there's a new clipping album out also today. And it's an amazing record. I haven't heard <laughs> like of that. Really, really, really good. So I'm gonna listen to that a lot. Uh, they're a rap band, um, uh, but they do sort of um, 
horror soundtrack sort of sounding rap. Incredibly good. The clipping is super special. Uh, very worth looking into. Excellent. Good tip. John, thank you so much. A real pleasure talking to you, man. Awesome. I, 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 I got to believe we're going to be back over there and I hope to see what we do. Absolutely. Can't wait for it. Cool. Take cool. good care. You too. So that was John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats. If you haven't heard Getting Into Knives, go and do that right now. And please share this podcast. Recommendations are the best thing you can do for this show. Cheers. Here's Cox Sparrow. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every blink of me, I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast.